Hi, my name's Jason. I'm the senior pastor at Chilton Church. We hope all our messages will help you connect more fully with God's love, grow as his follower, and share his hope with those around you. Thanks so much for joining us. morning again to anyone who's perhaps slipped in during the worship time and for those who are listening online my name's Jason um, and it's exciting to be able to take us into this next section of our journey through the gospel of Mark you may be aware that we are journeying through the gospel of Mark at the moment and we we come to a section in the gospel where there are a collection of accounts and teachings which all run with a similar theme or at least they raise for us some common questions and challenges. Uh, It's almost as if this section in the Gospel of Mark is there to test our ability to see and believe in the goodness of God when we don't understand the way that he's working. And I think as Christian people seeking to journey the long journey, the whole journey with God, that is so important for us to be able to know how to stick with God and continue with God and press into God when things are happening that we perhaps don't understand. And so my hope through this section, both uh, this morning and over the next couple of weeks, is that God would so strengthen us in our faith that we would be able to keep pressing on and into him, keep seeking to do the ministry that he has called us to do, spoken to us about individually in your life, together as a church, even when we encounter things that we don't understand, whether those be challenges in life or perhaps things in the scriptures that we are still wrestling with. So that as we hit the stuff that confuses us, It doesn't put the brakes on our faith journey with God. Uh, And I'm sure that perhaps you can identify with that having happened at some point in your life. As you hit something that you don't understand or a teaching that you perhaps don't even like. And it sort of puts the brakes on the speed to which you are journeying in your faith journey with God. And I think one of the things that I've really learned in in my time of walking in relationship with God um, is that the things of the kingdom and, and walking in relationship with him, with Jesus, when we're wanting to do that, faith needs to come before understanding. Faith needs to come before understanding. And and we may come to understand in part as we walk by faith, but it's actually our ability to trust God and to believe in God, even before we understand what he's doing, that enables us to be able to go the distance and walk into the things that he wants for us. And, and that's actually true in many of the most significant areas of our life. And sometimes we, we bring a paradigm of working in our faith that we don't actually use in the rest of our life. Uh, I think that this is quite common for us. And, and what actually happens in most of the areas of our life that are really significant, we believe and experience before we understand. And sometimes we never fully understand. So an example of that would be, you, you might be able to go to a specialized doctor who would be able to tell you something of the biochemical, psychological reasoning behind how I experience and make the choices of love in my life. 
they would be able to explain what is kind of going on in my brain biochemically. They'd be able to go explain to you what's going on sort of psychologically, why I do the things that I do. They might be able to outline some of that for you. But I didn't understand that when Jonathan was born. I just knew that I loved him. I didn't need a doctorate in psychology before initiating that relationship with him. I experienced it and I'm still coming to understand it. Another example, I think this happens all the time with technology now, where we use technology all the time in so many places, but we don't really understand how it works. I'm sure that many of us have flown in an aeroplane But I would guess that most of us don't have a clue how it works or why it stays up in the air. Unless Gordon is here, he might be able to to tell us and understand how they work. Another thing would be your cell phone. How many of you completely rely on these now? But if they break, we don't know how to fix them or how they work. I'm sure that many of us don't know how. and, And I still find this miraculous. You know, you're talking over here. And you speaking to someone in another country and there's no cable. You know, isn't that miraculous? You know, and at some level, we don't understand it, but we use it and we experience it and we rely on it and we trust it. Now, in a similar way, it's not the same, but in a similar way, it is our trust in God through experiencing him that enables us to journey with Jesus As we hit the things that we don't get, that confuse us, that challenge us, and that we struggle with. And because when we trust in God, when our trust is able to enable us to overcome our offense, perhaps at his teaching, our confusion at the situation we're in, it then launches us into being able to continue with God into the places of victory and life and ministry that God often wants to get us into. And so I want to pray for us. Maybe you want to put, you, you might know where your biggest challenge with this is. Is it with your head or with, is it with your heart? Okay, so you just put your hand on whichever you think is the most significant area of need for you right now. Maybe it's both, okay, and just put it on both. And and Lord, I pray for me. I pray for us. I pray that where our heads and our hearts, God, whether we have experienced something that we just can't emotionally deal with, we can't mentally understand, and it's put the brakes on our relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would release grace to trust you and to love you and to walk with you, that your, the grace and faith would give us the eyes we need to perceive and understand what you are doing. That we would be able to continue in faith with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, great. So I want to say just that I I found this helpful. As we approach the Bible, we we can kind of approach the Bible and Jesus, his ministry, his teaching in in two ways. And we probably do a bit of a mix of both, but in, in two sort of fundamental ways. The one is we approach the life ministry teaching of Jesus with the belief that he's perfect and the Bible is true and trustworthy. So when we approach with that perspective, in this approach, when we then struggle with a teaching, with a situation, with the ministry that, that Jesus is doing or that God is doing, we assume, okay, well, God is perfect. 
and God is good and the Bible is true. And so if something needs to shift, it's in me. That's where the change needs to take place. I need to understand better. I need to learn. And what that leads to is humble learning and growth from that perspective and that belief system. The other approach is we approach the life ministry teaching with the belief that, well, he's good, but he's maybe not perfect. And he doesn't always do everything the way I would have done it. And, and the Bible is you know, predominantly helpful But it's not completely true and perfect. And so in that approach then, what often happens is we hit something where we struggle. There's a teaching that we don't like or understand. It causes offense in some way. And we can then assume, or or maybe that's a bit where Jesus got that a bit wrong. Well, I would have done that. I, I might have done that better had I been there. You know, we don't articulate it like that, but we feel it like that. You know, or, or this is maybe a place where the Bible got this slightly wrong. And what this leads to is criticism as we actually become God's judge. Because we're now defining whether we think what he did was good or bad. And it stops the learning process and it causes us to disconnect with God. And I think probably in our lives, we're, we're doing a bit of both of those all the time. But the more we can activate in us humble faith, the more we're able to grow. The more we allow judgment of God to sit in our hearts, the more our journey with God gets, gets stunted. And it's a bit like driving with the handbrake on. Okay, so just to be alert to that as we come into these two accounts that we're going to look at this morning. So Mark 7, if you've got a Bible with you, want to open it up. I always think it's great to have a Bible you can highlight in. Um, Use your own Bible if you're going to use a highlighter, okay, or a phone. Um, Although, you know, maybe you'll highlight something good for someone else when they pick it up later. Mark 7, 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born uh, in Syrian Phoenicia, and she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. So I just want to say, this is obviously a major problem that this woman is facing. This is a real issue. And as a reminder, the biblical worldview, which we believe, is not embarrassed about spiritual realities. This isn't post-enlightenment where spiritual realities were sort of tried to be swept under the carpet. This is an environment where they totally understand and get the spiritual realities that are at play all around us. There is a real spiritual world that is intimately connected with this natural world that we are really familiar with. Both angels for good and demons for harm can have a direct impact on our lives. And often it looks really normal for us if we're not spiritually discerning. That you know Something just works out for us and we don't recognize actually there was angelic help in that. Or something goes really badly in our lives or in the lives of people around us. And often, not always, but often that can be for spiritual reasons too. The source can be angelic or demonic. And so this is a real issue that this woman is in now with her daughter. And I want you to look at the way Jesus responds and how you feel about it. 
First, he says, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. It's quite a challenging response from him. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed. The demon was gone. In Matthew 15, which is the parallel account of this passage, it says, Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. For this great response of faith, your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Here, let's have a look at the next account in, in light of that. He goes on, verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on them. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears and he spit and touched the man's tongue. And he looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh, <sighs> which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened and his tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. What do we take away from these two accounts, these two stories? I'm not sure how you're feeling about them now. Well, let's look at the first account to try to understand them. Here we have a woman longing for her daughter to be healed. And Jesus at first glance seems to be quite harsh with her. It's, it, it comes across perhaps as quite offensive. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever felt offended by the way God has spoken to you, perhaps in your life. And, and how did you respond when Jesus' words offended you? Because I think her response is quite amazing. She replies, Lord, even the dogs, this word for, for a small pet that would live in the house, eat the crumbs from the table. She doesn't take offense at Jesus' words that Israel, and this is what's being spoken about here, has been chosen ahead of the Gentiles. This isn't Jesus calling a woman a dog. This is Jesus explaining that God's order is that the Jews come first and that the Gentiles, as Paul describes it later, have not yet been grafted into the vine of covenant and promise. We read about that in Ephesians 2, where it describes our plight before Jesus came. I would say most of us would probably fall within the context of the Gentiles. It says, we were separate from God, Ephesians 2.12, if you're taking notes. We were separate from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. This time of grace that God had intended for the Gentiles has not yet come. It is before her time. 
And this distinction between God's choosing of the Gentiles, uh, choosing of the Jews, and, and then the future choosing of the Gentiles, this distinction is so great that it can be compared to the difference between the child in the house and the pet in the house. That is the level of distinction. But we see that she's not put off by this. She actually seizes this opportunity to express her faith and trust in the nature and character and power of God. And there's something about her confession of faith and her declaration of understanding the dynamics of the way that God works that causes Jesus to be arrested. It grabs his attention. And I think the key is because she's not offended, she doesn't disconnect, she can continue to build connection with God. And so often we don't do that. We get offended, we disconnect, and we stop the journey of what God perhaps wants to do with us. And this is the key. Her faith is so great that it pulls the future grace of God into the present incredibly profound and that's actually the way Jesus say all the miracles work when we pray for someone for healing if you think what is our future future reality when we go to be with God and we live for eternity with him we receive new bodies there will be no sickness no death no crying no pain that is our future And when we pray for people and minister healing to them, what we're doing is by faith, we are pulling something of the future grace of God that we don't deserve into the present, into a realm where we don't deserve it yet either. Does does, does that help you? So when we minister, this is what Jesus does. He says, I've come to announce the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has broken into this world. That where you hear my voice, and if if the demons are casted out, if the sick are healed, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Something of the future grace of God has broken into the present. And it's as if her faith enables What is to come, the blessing to the Gentiles, to land early. She gets a trailer of the film that is still to be released. Okay, the second account, Jesus seems to go out of his way. I think we prefer this one. He seems to go out of his way to create a sensitive environment where this man can be healed. And sort of takes him away from the crowds. It's, it's compassionate. There's no exposure. There's no shame. And he deals with this man in a really grave situation. Imagine what it would be like in that time to not be able to hear, to hardly be able to speak. No mention of anything spiritual. This seems to be a natural healing. But then this strange instruction from Jesus not to tell anyone about what's just happened, uh, uh, which, which at first glance doesn't really seem to make sense because we talk about this all the time. We're meant to go and tell about what God's done. We want to share the good news of how Jesus is working. So surely it makes sense for them to go and share it. And, and again, I'm not sure if you've ever been in a situation where you know, you've got this idea of something you should do and it even seems like a godly idea. You know, this, this seems like a really uh, a helpful thing that I should do. But something in you saying, 
I don't think God wants me to do it. But it seems so sensible to me. It seems in the present like this would be such a great idea. We, we should definitely do this. God's saying, no, no, I, I want you to do something else. I mean, oh no, you can't want that. <laughs> Trust me, God. I know in this situation, this is the best way for us to act. And Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. And the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. See, though we might think it was a good thing that they did that, it actually meant that Jesus became less and less free to do the ministry that he wanted to do in the place he wanted to do it. It created a problem for Jesus, not a help. And sometimes we can think this action is wise in the moment, but it's not wise from God's eternal big picture perspective. This isn't Jesus doing reverse psychology on the crowds. Don't tell anyone about this. This is actually the people thinking they know better than him and not trusting his words. We get to then this last verse in in our section today, which really becomes the crucial verse, both for these stories and those that are going to follow over the next couple of weeks. He has done everything well. In other words, the lens that we're meant to look at these stories through, the lens that we're meant to look at, the way Jesus interacts with the woman the way he interacts with the man, the way he interacts with the crowds, are that he has done everything well, good, perfect. His ministry was perfectly suited to the purposes of God, not just the desires, the temporal desires of the people. So what do we learn from that? Well, uh, the two things I, I want to perhaps just draw our attention to as we bring this to a, a close. The, the first is that occasionally God seems to employ the faith poke with us, okay, where he sees that there's merit in either provoking our faith or allowing our faith to be challenged and tested through what might otherwise be offensive to us if we weren't wholly trusting him. And what this does, it's as if it exposes in us the genuineness and depth of our love and trust in God as it gives us the opportunity to say to God, God, I trust you and I love you more than the circumstances I'm in. I trust you and I love you even though I don't understand what you're doing. I trust you and I love you, but I don't get this teaching. And so I know I need a change or we need to continue to talk, but I'm not going to disconnect from you because I don't understand it. And like the woman, we're not put off by the challenge, but we continue in faith. I'm sure there are examples that we can all think of where rather than trusting God, we got angry with him. Anyone think of some of those? Or rather than be humble with God, we've become offended at what he said. God, I don't like this. And actually, I know better. And if I was there on the Sermon on the Mount, I think I'd have done a better job. And rather than persevering in faith, we accept defeat as we shortchange the relationship. I think God is calling us to repent over the times that we have judged him as imperfect in some way. 
And as we've done that, we've disconnected. And I'm sure that we can all think of times that's been the case. And then the last thing just to pull out of this is that, that it's really important that we obey God's command and where we need to lay down our wise ideas in order to follow him. And, you know, I'm, I'm aware the church and our lives and my life can be full of my great ideas and your great ideas. And, you know, great ideas are good provided they're not at odds with God's ideas. Because when our great ideas are at odds with God's ideas, it means we're actually walking in disobedience. And we're not trusting him. And we're saying, I know better. In this situation, I know better. And that doesn't mean we're not meant to be creative. We're not meant to try things. We're not meant to be sort of proactive and, and engage in life. Of course we are. But we're meant to be listening. We're meant to be tuned into God. Didn't um, Dave do such an amazing job last week uh, of speaking about how we can hear God speak to us as his children? If you missed last week, please listen online. It was fantastic. So we can hear God speak to us. We're meant to be tuned into him. And when he says, Jason, church, any one of you, this is the way, walk in it. We're meant to be able to say, okay, God, I had a plan and it seemed good to me, but I'm going to trust that your way is better than mine. And there are two really simple ways to ensure we're doing that well. The one is to be reading the Bible regularly and often. If you don't do that, you have cut out of your life the authoritative true word of God for you. And you just won't know what God thinks about so many things that are going on in your life and in the world. And it's like trying to walk in the world with a blindfold on through a minefield. We need to be in the word. But then also we need to be asking God to fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we can be tuned into his voice. So I want to pray for us. Perhaps as the, as the team, if you um, want to come up and lead us, um, in some worship and, and we love to create space for ministry and, and you, might want, you might want prayer that's got absolutely nothing to do with what I've been sharing. You've just been here and you haven't been able to, you know, you're just watching the clock till I finish because you're here for prayer and that's, you know what, that's fine. You know, we want to pray for you or you might want to respond to something that I've shared but I, I feel I want to pray for us that we would have a boldness of faith that's not offended by the challenges of God. A boldness of faith that's not offended by the challenges of God. And a humble faithfulness to trust God's ways and not assume that we know better. Okay? Which is hard for us who have control issues. Okay? But God doesn't do well under our control. <laughs> Okay? It works much better the other way around. Um, we were talking about this at Connect Group and saying we have one of two ways to live. Okay? There, we can live by downward ascent. That is where we humble ourselves and God raises us up. Or we can live upward descent. That's where we place ourselves first and we try to make ourselves great and God has to humble us. 
And I would far rather you humble yourself that God can raise you up than you be proud that God has to humble you. Is that helpful? Okay, living by downward ascent. As we humble ourselves, God gets to raise us up. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the church and how to connect with us in person or online wherever you are, please visit our website at www.chiltonchurch.org.uk.